Uh, this is a rather special occasion, as everyone knows. This is the culmination of a five-year project uh, sponsored by Dean Randy Deal uh, and of a committee uh, that consisted of Bob Absug and Al Martinich and Elizabeth Richmond Garza, my think may be coming later, and uh, Steve Weinberg, who represented the science part of the uh, uh, the committee. Now, the purpose was to try to get books that would really help students uh, in their reading in college and actually beyond. In other words, this identifies books that the committee here in liberal arts uh, think to be uh, significant. Uh, so we're going to let... Uh, our panel here this afternoon speak in various ways about the uh, the uh, way in which this came about and the part that they played. Uh, this includes uh, Kip Keller, who is the editor of the British Studies series, uh, Lisa Lacey, who is a recent PhD graduate and a junior fellow in British Studies, uh, Megan Bennett, who is a graduate student at the LBJ School, and Shane Wagoner, uh, who is an undergraduate in philosophy. So as you see, we have asked, we, we've thought that it would be a, a bore for the members of the committee to speak once again to the group. So we've tried to make this a rather uh, representative and unusual uh, occasion. Uh, we want to begin with Dean King, uh, because all of this had its origins some three decades earlier in what is called the Texas List of Unrequired Reading. Uh, this was 32 years ago, and Bob was the chairman of the committee when he was dean, uh, and it has a, uh, the status of the beginning of the present project. Bob, we'll begin with you. I will. Do I have to stand up, or do you care? <laughs> it, I'll sit. I'll sit. Thank you. Um, that's it, Texas list of unrequired reading. Roger is always too generous because he did all the work uh, on putting this one together. And this was, what, Roger, 1985, 84, three? Uh, spring what? of eight, uh, 1988. That late? Well, yeah, but we, we were working on it as early as 84, yeah. That's right. Well, here's how it came about, and I'll try to keep this very brief. I have always been a great books enthusiast. Uh, you may have heard of the Mortimer Adler great books curriculum uh, that was uh, he and Robert Maynard Hutchins at the University of Chicago instituted. And uh, St. John's, which has two locations, one in New York and one in uh, New Mexico, the whole curriculum is built around the great books. <clears throat> now those are the great books of the Western world. I mean, I think that's actually what they call them. The College of Liberal Arts was created in, in 1979, and uh, the president asked me to become the dean of the college. And I was looking around for ways to, to get it on the map, to get the word out, College of Liberal Arts, GAA, and I thought books, books, we gotta stand for something. I suppose today people would talk about a brand or something. Well. I thought books were a pretty good brand. 
And so I just, uh, and I talked to Roger about it, and we decided, well, let's get started. Got to start somewhere. And somewhere we started was I knew a lot of prominent uh, celebrities here in Texas, and I wrote them uh, saying, here's what we're doing, and just give me the names of five books that, uh, I forget how I phrased the first letter, but it was five important books in your life, something like that. I remember Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, Mrs. Lyndon Johnson, she was, got quite enthusiastic about it and sent me a list. And it was about the kind of thing you would expect, I think, uh, the Odyssey, the Iliad, the Odyssey, some other books. And I remember several other, uh, former governor, Alan Shivers, he put a lot of thought to it and sent me a nice list. And I was really, I was, I was, I was impressed that these people were even thinking about books of that quality. Then I wrote Steve Weinberg, who's on this committee, this year's, this decade's committee, you might say. <clears throat> and he sent me a list of five books, and they were the predictable Aeneid, Odyssey. But he said, what I'd really like to tell you is five books that I read that made a huge impact on my life and that are fun to read. Right. Well... That changed my focus on this thing, so then I started soliciting books, not that are necessarily fun to read, but that are readable, readability, readability writ large. And we always focused on that. We put a committee together, I put, if you ever wanna get anything done, you get Roger to take care of it. And the result was this list there. I noticed that some of, I had very little to, I. I think I lobbied for two books, uh, one of which has made it through to this list. It was The White Nile by Alan Moorhead, which is a great tale not only of exploration but of contact between West and East, between West and Africa. I also uh, lobbied for, and they acceded to Whitaker Chambers' Witness, because that had made a big impact on my life. Uh, alas, that didn't make it into this, uh, this uh, current list. But that's the way the thing came about. And all I want to say in, in conclusion is that there, you can raise objections to every single reading list that has ever been put out there. From somebody's perspective or another, it is inadequate. It doesn't have enough of, it's not well represented enough by this kind of writer or that kind of writer. Um, I have an objection. I, I knew I was actually friends with the Nobel Prize winner for Yiddish liter for literature, Nobel, uh, the Yiddish writer, Isaac Bashevis Singer. And he always told me, he said, I don't like to talk to literary critics because they always, first thing they do is say, I have an objection. Well, that's the way I felt about peddling, so to speak, this reading list. Everybody had an objection but uh, they all do. So with that, I'll, I'll just turn it over to whoever. Roger, you're in charge of this thing. Uh, I'd like to say before Dean Deal speaks that the semester is coming to a close, and this is one of the last occasions in which Dean Deal will be making a public appearance. That's right, I'm going into total hiding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's actually more a little more definitive than I had in mind. But uh, yes, I'll be stepping down in two and a half months. I was just talking to Bob King about what to do after retirement, and uh, he gave me some actually some very good ideas. What I would say about my role uh, virtually echoes word for word what Bob just said. Uh, Roger has given me credit. I sponsored this. I hosted it. Uh, in fact, it was, I, I would say, entirely uh, Roger's project. No, no, no. Uh, you, came, you came to visit me in my office. You, you brought the unrequired uh, list of unrequired readings, which, by the way, I've always kept in my desk, and I, I still have three copies of it in my desk. Uh, I loved it. I love reading lists. I'm not one of those who objects. Uh, but Roger laid out uh, uh, just a proposal that we uh, have at it again. Uh, we didn't talk about duplicating or replacing the list, but kind of coming up with our own. We hadn't yet decided on the number of books to include. I think what happened was in our various discussions, um, people would argue strongly for the inclusion of, of a book. So what started out as maybe a list of 100 became a list of 150. Uh, but all along, my view was uh, the purpose of any reading list is to provide um, stimulus and perhaps controversy to, to, uh, to get people thinking about what constitutes a great book. Like Bob, uh, I've always been a... Uh, a lover of uh, uh, the great books, and I was influenced by the same people you just mentioned. Uh, but um, but I see a, a list, and that includes this list, as uh, that so much uh, does not aspire to be any kind of definitive list. Uh, it's meant to be a, a list that will stimulate uh, other people, perhaps, to come up with their own list, or at least to take a look at the books on this list. Um, I remember I see Elizabeth Richmond Garza back here, and I remember uh, I, I remember Elizabeth saying, and I completely agree with this point of view. Uh, she said, "You know, I'm not going to be a party to a list that uh, that uh, uh, proposes to be the canon of world literature." Uh, but you did like the idea, and you promoted the idea of a list that would stimulate discussion and controversy. Uh, and I like that, that view of the matter a lot. Uh, I will say this, um, this, working on this list was an incredibly enjoyable experience because of the people on the committee. Uh, uh, I look, even though we met about once every four months, uh, I always look forward to those meetings. Uh, and the list as it was unfolding helped guide my own reading during the years that we were working on this. So uh, thank you, Roger, for, for uh, proposing this in the first place and for hosting us here at the HRC uh, and for all the work that you did. Uh, you really are responsible for the blurbs uh, that uh, I, I wrote a couple of them, but I think you were the uh, generator of most of the blurbs in, the, in this book. Well, uh, I think it was really a collective effort, but I, we do have an editor, and I think Kip Keller can tell us about the process. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'll get to that in a second. I did want to say, as far as the purpose of the book, 
and this is especially for um, students, that the part, this book is not meant to be um, punitive or prescriptive. It's not to say, if you don't read these books, you're not a complete person or you're not a good person. You can lead a wonderful, meaningful life and never, <laughs> never read a, a sentence out of any of the books listed here. So that's not what this is about. Um, if you do like to read, though, and there are plenty of good reasons to read, you know, we read history so that we don't live in the eternal present like invertebrates. You know, we, we, re we read fiction because we can never know enough people or have enough experiences. And so if you do like to read, um, a book like, uh, a list of book like this is um, a sort of map. And um, I think of this as sort of a, a city map, a small a map of a small area um, to lead through the wilderness of books because there are so many out there and it's impossible sometimes to even know where to set off, you know, on, what, on a path, on, on a trail. And so um, a book like this is supposed to help with that. Um, if you wanted a larger map, the sort of world atlas version of this is Roger's Indispensable Reading, um, which I also worked on. And um, it's a, where well, this is 150 books, this is 1,001. There are actually 1,001 titles, main entries, and then if you throw in all of the extra stuff, it's about 1,500. And um, so it's roughly 10 times the size of this one. And, um, and so, whereas this would, this is excellent for leading you around um, sort of a, a large neighborhood of uh, possible things to read, um, this would get you through the whole world of reading. And yeah, as far as the, the editorial process, Roger and I have a regular meeting, it still goes on every Saturday at 11 o'clock at the Starbucks at 27th and Nueces. If you ever wanted to find us, that's where we are on Saturday mornings. And, um, and we just hashed out the wording of the entries, the illustrations, the format, everything, you know, repeatedly. Books would get added, books would get um, deleted. Uh, we would keep the same author, but change the, the book that represented that author. And yeah, it was, there's, I, I would, I can honestly say there's, there's more work that went into this than might be like immediately apparent, just if you thumb through it. I feel I have to defend myself. Uh, this, all of the entries here are incorporated in the larger book, and all that I did was to go ahead and add the 851 further. <laughs> Just 851 extra. Um, well, I'm, I guess you didn't ask me a specific question, so I guess I would say my impression is what a wonderful tool this is for well, for anyone, really, but I was thinking of it uh, from the point of view of an undergraduate because I think about what I read as an undergraduate, um, which was in the 70s, and it was so Western-centric. A lot of this is Western-centric, but it's still broad and, and uh, encompasses uh, a number of titles that were central to my undergraduate education. But it's broader. And I, for example, didn't meet Hannah Arendt until 20 years after undergraduate school. I went back to graduate school and took a Holocaust seminar and suddenly met Hannah Arendt and the origins of totalitarianism. 
looking at this, I think back on meeting Aristotle as a freshman <clears throat> in the 70s and uh, how Aristotle has figured into my studies of um, the Middle East and in particular this semester teaching Islamic Spain and the fact that much of Aristotle's work gets translated into Arabic and then eventually into Latin and becomes known to the Western world. So it just, the connections of these books to me um, are limitless for students and how lucky students are to have these books available and we're lucky too. I often think about, I'm just in the mood to read something. What do I want to read? What a nice way to have something to just go to. Um, Speaking of other um, sort of pivotal works in here, Frederick Douglass, uh, I did a master's on men who worked for women's suffrage, and you don't normally think of Frederick Douglass as a woman suffragist. You think of him as obviously an abolitionist for good reason. But it's just interesting to, to look through this and think of every single one of these people has been, of these authors has been pivotal. Uh, the only thing I would have added, just in, nobody asked me this, so I hope I don't get <laughs> mauled on the way out of here, but, <laughs> but one pivotal book that I read in uh, undergraduate school was Custer Died for Your Sins by Vine Deloria, or Vine Deloria, I'm not sure if he pronounced it Vine or Vine, but uh, it was the first time I learned that the American government had violated every treaty that it had ever made with the Native Americans. Every single one. And so, and he had, you know, been active, an activist as well as active politically in, uh, you know, bureaus and committees and councils and lots of uh, legal positions and so forth. Um, that would be the only thing is that I, I found that book as an American one of the pivotal books for me as an undergraduate uh, was learning a little bit more about the settlement of the West, or really the whole United States. It wasn't just the West. But anyway, that would be my only one that I could think of off the top of my head that was like pivotal that wasn't in here. But what a fabulous work. Thank you for, <laughs> for making this list of books. Absolutely. So um, I, I, when I first got the copy of this, I kind of looked at it from two different perspectives. I'm a dual degree uh, graduate student in Middle Eastern studies and in global policy studies, and my undergrad is in international relations. And I, so I looked at it from that point of view, and I also looked at it from the point of view, uh, I'm a US Army veteran as well. Um, and so as I was going through this, I had a few thoughts. One, now I have a roadmap <laughs> of um, interesting books to read and pivotal books that are important. Some of these I have literally never heard of, but that's the point of this list, um, is to broaden my, my own horizons. Um, I participate in a group called the Warrior Chorus, um, which is uh, from a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities. Actually, Dr. Palima over in the Classics Department is our, um, is our academic leader for that. And so we look at the Odyssey and the Iliad and other works of um, the classics and relate them to our modern views of war. And then we make art about it some of us do stories or songs or whatever, 
and then try to relate these um, themes to the public and have a public veteran kind of uh, d debate, I guess you could say, or kind of um, bring those two parts of society closer together. And so, um, of course, I'm very happy to see uh, the Odyssey in here and also um, Thucydides and every single international relations or se international security class I've ever had, there has been uh, chapters and pieces of Thucydides and I finally got the book <laughs> this past, um, a couple months ago actually, to read over the summer. Um, from a military, or from a um, Middle Eastern t studies perspective, um, I'm happy to see uh, uh, Edward Said's Orientalism, of course, a somewhat controversial work, depending on where you're coming from, talking about, and I really um, like your blurb about um, that he held consistently that Western scholarship on the region remains distorted and that public attitudes about the Arab world continue to be ingrained with a condescending attitude. And I feel like as we, as our broadening our horizons in Middle Eastern scholarship, it's really important for us to always remember that about some of the works that have already been written and as we are sifting through the more contemporary works. Um, so I, as a student, am extremely excited to dig into some of these works and really get a broader, broader foundation for being a human, really. <laughs> Jay. So I should probably begin by saying I'm probably the last person to uh, get involved in this. Uh, particularly, it was last Friday when Dr. Lewis handed me the uh, announcement and pointed to my name as one of the commenters. But uh, I grew up in uh, a lot of classical education, so there was always a big emphasis on the great books. So uh, it was exciting to get the chance to sort of reflect on this list and just sort of uh, the value and the contributions that it makes, uh, both for students and grad students and faculty members alike. Uh, one thing that struck me initially was just how so many of the books selected, I've encountered them and they've popped up in various conversations and relationships that I've had throughout my life. Uh, I can remember last semester when I, I went and I spoke with my uncle about how we had just finished the Canterbury Tales in uh, Dr. Lewis's class on the great books. And all of a sudden, my uncle, who's this very reserved, calm person, just slowly starts murmuring the opening lines. <laughs> and uh, it, was a, it was surprising to me, because I had never seen him do anything like that before. But it turned out that he had read the book in high school um, 30 years prior and had never forgotten it. And I can't, I can't begin to count the number of people I've met who, with a book like, you know, Albert Camus, The Stranger, which appears, uh, encountered that in their, their teens during, you know, angsty periods of their lives and uh, before any teacher had ever signed it or anything like that. Um, and so I think that, uh, I think that a, a list like this has a very important role to play just in the sense of allowing people to engage with values and ideas that end up being very significant to them throughout the course of their lives. Regarding, regarding the list itself, uh, the philosophy major in me was happy to see that they selected Bertrand Russell's The Problems of Philosophy instead of A History of Western Philosophy. Uh, I mean, both are, of course, very uh, important and inspiring works for a lot of people who have ever gotten interested in philosophy and most of their professors, too. But uh, the latter, 
some historical inaccuracies, uh, a little bit of difficulties there, and that have cast a bit of a shadow on its classic status. So I was glad to see that uh, they managed to, uh, to, pick, to pick the one I like, at least. <laughs> um, there, were a few, there were a few selections in there that did surprise me. I was, uh, I was surprised to see uh, Towards Perpetual Peace instead of the critique by Kant. Um, with John Maynard Keynes, the, the economic consequences of peace rather than the general theory, and all of that just got me thinking. The, the fact that you guys were able to come to final decisions on these things is uh, a testament to an absurdly impressive level of diplomacy and compromise. <laughs> uh, uh, so so that, that was impressive. Uh, I guess lastly, the thing that struck me just in terms of the value of the list is it's not just a list that provides people with a guide to what to read. It's, it also seems to be sort of a, a shining example of, of how we should be reading, just in the sense of not simply looking for entertainment or to learn new facts or something like that, but also with a critical eye towards what's valuable and what notions and ideas are going to last. And uh, so I thought, uh, I thought this has made just an immense contribution to people seeking to read and enrich their lives <coughs> more generally. If I could respond to uh, uh, your comment about per perpetual peace and the economic consequences, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, uh, those two issues, and it came down to what Bob uh, referred to earlier as readability was, yeah. a, was yeah. a factor. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> the, I think we ought to call on the other members of the committee. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth Richmond Garza, Al Martinich, Bob Epsu. In no particular order. <laughs> well, I'd like to pick up on a comment that Bob King made about everybody having a complaint about it. Uh, I invited a friend of mine yesterday who's a distinguished scholar on campus, and I said, you know, come to this. And he said, uh, you have the Odyssey on it, not the Iliad. And I said, it doesn't say that you shouldn't read the Iliad. <laughs> and then I said, well, what, one of the things we hope will happen is that you read some book, and then that leads you on to another book. So if you read the Odyssey, you may want to find out what happened before uh, Odysseus took off. One of the issues we had that remains an interesting one for me is that um, at one point we were trying to figure out when does a book become a classic and not at just one point, many points and um, because some, there's so many books that have been written very recently that are quite compelling that may last or may not last for centuries but um, if you notice in that list these are largely books from Oh, 50 years or <coughs> before, is that about right? Yeah, and that's what we decided on, which um, was an interesting, uh, it quelled a lot of arguments because <laughs> we all had our favorites of recent vintage, um, but it was, it was a very, uh, the process for all of us, I think, was extraordinarily um, camaraderie. It was extraordinarily interesting and eye-opening. Um, it got us reading books over the summer that we ordinarily wouldn't have read. And um, sure, there are great shortcomings that are made up by a thousand and one uh, <laughs> books. 
so that, there's that. But that's you should see that as the companion volume. But um, in any case, uh, I would just say it was one of those very special experiences uh, working with colleagues totally from different fields and uh, meeting on a common ground, nonetheless. So I wish I could um, weave together everything that's been said, but I wanted to pull a couple of ideas out particularly, and that's to thank both deans of the Colleges of Liberal Arts for having brought together these reading communities. That's what lists do. People read on their own, but they also read together. Being invited to join this, and it was a divided labor between uh, Randy Deal and between Roger Lewis, was a great pleasure over the last few years. It sent me back to the 1980s in a positive way. Not about the big shoulder pads, but about the great books you could read with friends. <laughs> <laughs> student back in the day. And I wanted to make a remark also about the notion of the map. So if I can just pull that idea out. I think this is a map. Um, there's a shorter map and there's a longer map. I love the idea of the neighborhood map and the global map. But as a theorist who I find really helpful on my work talks about, De Certeau, he says you can map things and it could tell everybody to walk on the big boulevard and it could tell them don't be putting barricades up and having a revolution. That's the way the city of Paris was designed. But what a place when it's been mapped and traced, a distinction he makes requires is that it be using his word pratique. It needs to be used, it needs to be practiced. And so what was lovely about creating this list, our conversations were at the beginning of it, and I hope it goes forward a great deal. Already the comments from our three readers, this new community today are beginning that, is that it would be practiced by people in different ways. Edward Said was one of my professors. He's a little of a flashpoint, yeah? So different people are going to practice Said in super different ways. And so this is like Shahrazad back in the day, a thousand and one nights, a thousand and one books, which means one more book than you could ever count. Yes. It will always have things added to it. So thank you, Roger, Randy, and everybody for letting me be part of those initial, very initial conversations. This project uh, is not done. This project is an invitation to the next book that will be added to it by hopefully all of our many readers. Thank mm -hmm. you.